Like people asked how I was doing and I just bursted into tears because like just like a month before I was having all these happy dances because we were just like locking in client after client after client and then I was like I just couldn't hide. I was like this sucks. Hey everybody, my name's Jordan Rowell, and you're listening to episode six of Vermont Entrepreneur. Real quick. If you've got a second, please give the show a five-star review on Apple and Spotify. It helps get the word out. You can do it right now. I'll wait. Okay, today I'm talking to Marina McCoy, founder of Waste Free Earth. First off, if you want to learn more about Marina and her company after listening to this episode, check out her interview on the podcast Start Here by the Vermont Center of Emerging Technologies. In that conversation, they talk a lot about the early days of Marina's business and some of her strategies that have enabled her to become successful. But that was back in March, before the pandemic. And Marina, well, her business is a sustainability and zero-waste consultant for events, mostly music festivals. So you can imagine what happened to her business after the economic shutdown. Yeah, it was pretty much gone. But I wasn't interested in having Marina on the show because I wanted to talk about failure. Quite the opposite, actually. I'm inspired by Marina because even with such profound uncertainty looming in front of her and her business's future, she's not stopping. And when I heard about her story, I asked myself, what makes somebody so resilient? What makes them so unintimidated by events beyond their control? Marina grew up in Rutland, Vermont, living with her dad and her brother. She looked up to her dad a lot and watched him climb the corporate ladder from retailer to director of operations at Pico Ski Resort. Her dad cared a lot about giving Marina and her brother room to grow and let them pursue their interests, no matter what they were. When she wasn't frying worms on the playground or modeling at pageants, Marina was up on the hill, first skiing, then snowboarding. She eventually got pretty good and started entering competitions. Then when she graduated high school, she took the next logical step in any snowboard career. She moved to Tahoe and attended Sierra Nevada University. I ended up getting so involved in school that then my snowboarding got pushed to the side. I just never would have thought that that would be the thing because in high school, like I was a good student, but definitely not an overachiever. I would get 100 days in at the mountain. That was my main goal. I had D and E block free. We would drive up. That was a big motivator, and when I went out to school in Tahoe, I was going to be on the snowboard team there. But after seeing all the different opportunities in Tahoe, I was able to get involved in school way more than I imagined and ended up doing really well. I got two degrees. I got a degree in sustainability, and then I got a degree in ski business and resort management and was doing almost like 18 and 19 credits a semester. I was vice president of student government. I was president of two clubs. 
and also working 20 to 30 hours a week. So I slept in the library a lot of times, but... So we know where the ski industry component came from, being mm-hmm. inspired by your dad. But what about the sustainability part? What got you interested in that uh, enough to pursue a degree in it? In high school, I was definitely into sustainability, but I was told by like other family members that it wasn't a field to go into because there wasn't much money. And graphic design was a good paying field at the time. So I actually went as a graphic design student and I didn't even have the ski business degree either. But once I went to a liberal arts school and you have to take an environmental class and I took it and I couldn't really stand doing the three hours of art classes. That's when I realized that I'm not really that creative. So then I switched my degree to sustainability and then I decided like might as well add ski business on there because I thought that I would want to be a sustainability director for a ski resort. Did you get that job out of school um, or where did you go from there? No, I I kind of fell out of the ski industry while I was in school. I love it and I work with ski resorts right now, but I was interning for Protect Our Winters, which is this climate advocacy nonprofit, total badass, and that was really awesome. So I was able to use my sustainability degree and my business degree. I did my service learning project with them and was in charge of their Hot Planet Cool Athlete. Like it was sponsored by the North Face. I got to set up with professional athletes to go talk to high school students about climate change. But through that, I ended up getting connections with a music festival called the Friendly Gathering because it was put on by two professional snowboarders, Jack Matrani and Danny Davis. And that's really where it all began. When I was on site, it just all made sense. I love seeing results right then and there and interacting with the attendees, seeing how they were confused about recycling and composting and then teaching them how to reduce their waste, hosting zero waste workshops and sustainability seminars. I was just sold. And then that's kind of how my company was born unofficially because I was just a subcontractor at that time. This seems like an inflection point when you first reached out to uh, the two professional snowboarders when you were working with POW where you went beyond your responsibilities of the internship and seemed to um, sort of seize an opportunity that you saw. I was attending that music festival because it happened an hour south of hometown in Rutland, Vermont. So it was a good, it happened in the summertime. It was a good way for me to see everyone when I was back for a couple of weeks in the summer. Like all my high school friends would go there. And I noticed I had a huge hypocritical moment while I was there because it was when I was a sophomore going into my junior year because I was studying sustainability. I thought it made me uber sustainable without doing any work personally. And I just realized I was such a hypocrite one night. These girls were talking about how glow sticks were super toxic for the environment and it was raining so they were all like all stuck in the mud and just kept on getting deeper. But they walked by it and then I walked by it. And I got to my tent and realized that I had glow sticks on me. Plus I brought wet solo cups with me. I brought pretzels wrapped in plastic and hummus, like all this stuff. And 
So I saw it there, and then I just kept on seeing trash all around. We were singing and dancing to this music and music about the earth and taking care of one another, but then we were destroying it at the same time. So I used that leverage, too, that I had attended the event. I'm from Vermont. I was interning for Protect Our Winter, so I just sent them emails. I think I sent them three emails I followed up, and then I got a response. And within the emails, I presented plans, too, because I had been observing what, after I realized I was a hypocrite, I became really obsessed with waste and then started studying all that stuff. So I was able to pitch to them some things to work on. And I actually got hired on as a rock star volunteer, but then I ended up getting paid that year. And then I worked for them for five years. What exactly were you doing? What you know, as a sustainability, you know, first a rock star volunteer, I mean, what exactly did you do? <laughs> I didn't know what I was doing, honestly. <laughs> I, I did to a certain extent, but it was really just following my intuition and figuring out what I could do. Now I would say that that was our waste audit year. They had a green team already with Joe and Dave, and they did a lot of like, sorting through the waste, which we do too, but... There wasn't as much signage and interaction with the attendees. So I observed that. We were digging through the trash. And so each year we just got better at it. We had bigger signs up, eye level. We introduced composting. We started having vendor requirements. So it just naturally flowed, and I just continued to do more research. And then after that, I actually ended up locking in. Another client went to Wondergrass, and they did multiple events all across the United States. And then I also landed a New Year's Eve event in Tahoe. So by the time I graduated, I already had seven festivals that I was leading programs at. Definitely not (laughs) full-time at all, but it was a nice, slow way to build up my company while in school because I wasn't worried I have my side jobs of dog sitting, house sitting, nannying, all that stuff, and working at the school bookstore. Um, so I wasn't really worried about making ends meet through that. So it was just a nice way to build up the client base without spending any money in marketing and worrying about sales. It just all happened word of mouth. So was there a moment when you did realize, you know, oh my gosh, this this could be a full-time thing. This could be a, a business that I devote all my time to. It was more so pressure from families. Um, my stepmom is a, a realist, so she puts, it, she puts it out there, which is good. <laughs> um, but she would be like, Marina, like, you're traveling around, you're doing all this stuff, but like, you've got to worry about health insurance. You've got to be able to save 401k. Because when I graduate college... In 2016, I brought I bought a sprinter van and then converted that into a house. And then I was traveling the country. It was also my office and just picking up gigs along the way, not really thinking too much into what I was doing, but having the the realness kick in that okay, like I will eventually be 26 and get kicked off insurance, and I need to have a plan with that. I need to start thinking about savings and paying off the um, hefty student loans that I got myself into. So 
in October 2016, I presented on the TEDx stage in Tahoe. And a couple of nights before then, I realized I should probably have a company name to go under. And I was house-sitting in Tahoe. I just got back from working all these events across the country. I was back in Tahoe, house-sitting and dog-sitting. And I was on their couch. Like, I should make a company. And Waste-Free Earth is what came about. So I made an Instagram, Facebook, and website that night. (laughs) What was the hardest part? of starting your business and and really committing uh, to making this thing real? I would say the hardest part really didn't hit me until the past two years when it really did get real. Because before I was just like, this is sweet. I'm traveling around in a van. I'm hitting up all these national parks and setting up these programs. I was able to save a little bit because I really didn't need much money to start. I didn't start having people that I needed to payroll until two years ago. And that's when things got real. I was like, oh, payrolling people is a lot of money. And that's when I really started looking at, okay, like how much should I be charging? Because I was under budgeting myself 100%. Because I, again, wasn't really thinking too much in the future. I was just living in the present per se. And that's great to an extent. But when you want to scale not even scaling substantially, just like hiring people. (laughs) It's a lot, a lot of money, um, especially when you want to be fully legal and socially responsible. Our budgets like went up 35 to 50%. So we lost some clients because they couldn't afford it. But then that also led us into like higher paying clients. So it worked out, but it was scary. Tell me about these, you know, bigger clients that you were able to uh, to get as you began growing your business? Yeah, I would say the MTV one, the New Year's Eve event, was definitely our biggest one. I was so, so thankful for them because each year we were just able to expand. Last year we were able to reduce our overall waste consumption by 90,000 pounds in one year. And that's talking about reducing it on all levels, like trash, recycling, and composting, because recycling and composting is great, but it's not the end-all, be-all. Like, you should be reducing, it's still a waste in the end, like, you should be reducing all waste. Yeah, and all all word word of mouth. So now it's been difficult tapping into a new industry where we're, like, consulting, and we actually have to figure out how to market because I'm on a much stronger timeline. Whereas in school, like I said, I wasn't really worried about making ends meet or like employees and people on payroll or things like that. So I naturally got to build up my client base. But now I'm like, oh, I need to make ends meet. I need to meet payroll. I need to do this. Event industry got wiped out in March of 2020 and it's going to continue to be wiped out for another year. So everyone's scrambling. And then my network is event folks and they're in a tough position too so I can't be like hey like do you know of anyone that needs my services because they're trying to fend for themselves too like events we were the first to close and we're going to be the last ones to open so it's it's been really tough (laughs) you were arguably at the height of your business you know, last New Year's, almost a year ago today. Um, You had MTV, a big client. You were continuing to grow with them. And then only a couple months later, you started to get word that 
you know, this pandemic um, was going to start shutting down a lot of your business. Tell me about when you first realized that COVID-19 was going to be a real thing. Yeah. Yeah, it was, it was definitely a major hit because we were on track to triple sales. We were, like, locking in, like, high-level clients, which was unreal to us. And, yeah, it just all kind of came <laughs> crashing down. But I have to remember that's not because of us and our work ethic. It's because of the pandemic. But, yeah, in, in a matter of a week, we lost $300,000 worth of proposals just for, like, the time that we thought that events were going to be done. <laughs> so like not even counting like what we're now like adding up more and more as this continues to happen. And the irony of it all is like a couple of days before I got awarded Vermont Young Entrepreneur of the Year. So it was like this super high and then met with this low. It's like, oh, shoot. <laughs> we weren't really worrying about COVID until at Winter Wintergrass Steamboat in February. And... Like a lot of the sponsorship gear was not making it in time. So we didn't have our reusable cups because they kept on saying like, oh, because of COVID, like it's coming from China. This is, I was like, what is COVID? Why is it backing up? Like all of our sponsor stuff and reusable things, like what is going on? And then I went to go work an event. So from Steamboat, I went to go work an event directly in Phoenix, Arizona. And again, we were having stuff pushed back because of COVID. I was like, what is going on with like, COVID? Why can we not get this shipping to us because of this virus or this flu? Like, what, what is going on? And then we had an event coming up again in like another week or so. And then that got canceled. And then it just was like a whole ripple effect. It was just like one by one by one. And I was in the kitchen. I just remember crying. Like people asked how I was doing and I just bursted into tears because like just like a month before I was having all these happy dances because we were just like locking in client after client after client. And then like, I just couldn't hide. I was like, this sucks. We were just thinking that it'll probably be 2022 is when events of the scale that we were doing will come back. You said earlier that this was an interesting time. <laughs> and I think that is just a, a whopping understatement, um, especially from your perspective. And I don't think anybody can would be able to blame you for um, having a moment where you just ask yourself, you know, what am I doing? What are we going to be able to make it through this? Mm -hmm. I mean, tell me about, do you have those conversations with yourself or your staff? All the and, time. <laughs> and how, you know, what, what keeps you going and, and what do you guys tell yourselves? I cannot imagine myself doing anything else besides zero waste, like education and programs and systems. Like whatever I do, like I know I need to do that. And I've tried to have, like, <laughs> at the beginning of COVID, I secured some part-time jobs because I just didn't know what was happening. So, like, I was still working on my company. I'm probably doing, like, 60 hours a week between the part-time jobs and having my business going. 
And then it just, once people realized that we were going to be in it for a while, those extra clients dried up. And like another motivator outside of my passion for it is knowing that there's like really no other jobs out there right now. <laughs> so like I have to make it work. So, so that's, that's motivating. Like there are jobs out there, but not the description of what I would want. And that's definitely a very, very privileged thing to say. And I acknowledge that. But that's also motivation of like, I'm going to work my butt off to make it work. So what are you spending your time doing right now? Luckily, you know, we're writing blogs for companies about sustainability. We're teaching lunch and learns about Zero Waste 101 to companies and their staff, which is great. And those are really starting to pick up, which is perfect because I love educating. That's my favorite thing to do. Then we are crowdfunding right now on iPhone Woman, which is like Kickstarter, but you could actually have a service business on there. Like it doesn't have to be product and it's for only woman-owned companies. For right now, we are trying to build a more resilient plan because consultants are expensive. A lot of small businesses can't afford that, but they want to lay the foundation of zero waste operations. So we're creating Zero Waste Kickstart, which is an online platform where they will get all of our knowledge, our expertise. We'll have everything in modules, talking about greenwashing, recyclability, how to tell if your product is actually recyclable, how to market it properly. Because when you're an entrepreneur, when you're a founder, you don't have time to tap into something for an hour. Like that's just, if you do to watch a video, you're not gonna have time to implement it. So 30 minutes to watch a video or less, and then like 30 minutes to try to get started on it. So we're excited about that. So that's what we're crowdfunding for because we need the money to be able to put our heads down to build a program. It's, it's been doing pretty good. We're, o- we're almost to 50% funded. We're probably at like 40% right now-ish. Ish. And how long ago did you launch the program? Or did you launch the, the fundraising campaign? So that is a little complicated. <laughs> we technically launched it in mid-October, but we didn't really launch it, launch it until this past week. Like there's... Taking all the um, coaching classes that iPhone Woman has, they say that you should really hit your personal network first to get some funding in there. So we got like a couple thousand dollars at first. It's like that tip jar analogy. Like, oh, if people see money in the tip jar, they're going to tip more. If they don't, they're not going to give you a tip. Like I used to work, I used to scoop ice cream. So I always would put a couple dollars in my tip jar when I started my shift because then more people will put it in. Funny how that works. So technically, like a month, but we really have been pushing it a week. And that also has to do with the fact that I was hiding behind the crowdfunding as a service launch and saying, like, hey, like we're launching this service. Like people launch services all the time. Like no one really cares. So I had to admit, (laughs) uh, confronting my ego that, okay, like we need help. I opened myself up and I was vulnerable about it, that we need needed help. People have been really awesome. One of the things that inspires me the most about you um, is your ability to be vulnerable and, and be open, uh, whether it's talking about um, your own challenges, personal challenges with mental health mm. or uh, 
the challenges of your business. Um, it's so inspiring for me to hear that, you know, someone that has built a business and been successful still has challenges and still mm -hmm. fights demons and still, you know, has to confront their ego once in a while. Um, you know, can you speak a little bit to your journey with that since being a founder and a CEO and mm -hmm. maybe being more in the limelight than you used to be? So during 2020, like when I lost all my clients, I also won the most awards I ever have from the outside, people were like, oh, she's doing fine. Like, she doesn't need help. So me admitting that, like, I had people calling and texting, like, oh, I had no idea. Like, they thought that we were too busy to work with them because we were getting all of this exposure when really we're like, oh, no, it's the, the opposite. So just something to be aware of when you're <laughs> – let people know that you are taking clients when you win all these awards because awards could also make people realize that you – or think that you're busier than you are. And to top things off for 2020, I, you know, when I was younger, I got diagnosed with ADHD, depression, and anxiety, severe anxiety. And I didn't really go on medication for it. I thought that I could, you know, meditate and eat healthy and not drink, not do drugs, all that stuff, and it would be fine. Over the years, I started to have an increase of panic attacks and all of this stuff happening. I thought it was just because I was stressed. Then this summer, I uh, <laughs> had another panic attack that got me into the hospital. And my doctors were like, Marina, you have to have to get a grip on this. Like, You can't keep on going into these long depressive states and having these panic attacks. So I went on medication for my depression and anxiety and the antidepressants actually made things way worse because turns out I'm actually bipolar. And when you're bipolar, you actually need to be on mood stabilizers and antidepressants don't work for you. They actually are way worse. So I got into a deeper depression. So on top of <laughs> having to pivot my company, going through all this stuff and like being in a pandemic, I was having this mental breakdown per se and also like my grandma passed away and then my aunt and like just a series of unfortunate events so 2020 has been an interesting year as i say i am very fortunate that we live in vermont i have access to the uvm medical center so i am in their program for people with mood disorders which is really nice if makes it feel less less lonely. It was actually very, very liberating finding out that I was bipolar because it all made sense. Like when I started my company, I was in a hypomania episode. Like when you stay up till four o'clock in the morning, I thought I was just being productive. So then I crashed for like weeks, sometimes months on end. But now knowing it and having that support group and having my therapist and psychiatrist, I could use it to my advantage. You've been dealt a hand <laughs> this year, to say the least. And I'm, I'm impressed that you're still standing, and not only that, but um, you're fundraising for, you know, the recreation of your business in a way. You know, as we wrap up here, mm -hmm. not just to people who have ideas in general um, or people who want to start a business or, or, you know, to act on their dreams – 
but people that face challenges with you know doubt and depression uh, and anxiety and and you know being self-conscious you know do you have any advice for for people like that um in order to to make it happen because you're living proof that it's possible i would say talk about it talk about it with your friends and if your friends don't accept you for it you have to get new friends i go by the saying i shouldn't feel shame about my mental illness because you feel shame about you have this stigma about mental illness so that's not my problem that's your problem and i really i i live by that because yeah like i have this stuff going on with me but it's not my whole identity i have all this other stuff going for me just because i have this, these things going on that people describe them as disorders or illnesses or i'm crazy because i have them i think that's that's really unfair so I, I'm fortunate that the friend group that I have now, we're all really open about our mental illness. And it's just nice knowing like, okay, like you're having a high anxiety day. Like, how do you cope with it? Like, how do you cope when you're in depression? Just having that conversation with your friends and, and holding each other accountable really helps. Also having a therapist does help as well. But I want to acknowledge that I know that not everyone has access to having a therapist either. So if you could create that support group with your friends, be open about it. That that's the best thing you could do. And if you are in a place where you don't have that type of support, watch YouTube videos about it. That's how like I I found out stuff about bipolar was hearing people talk about it. There's so much re- research and free information out there now so you might feel alone but you definitely aren't alone and there's support groups too like there's a support group that i'm in iuvm that could be in even after my program is done because it's like a 15-week program but people are that have been in that support group been in it for since 2014 is the one that's been in there the longest yeah. So it's out there. Just don't be afraid to ask for help. Don't be afraid to research. You're going to have anxiety going into this stuff. But I mean, if you're already dealing with anxiety, it's just, you got to uh, power through and take time for yourself. From Rutland, Vermont, founder and CEO of Waste Free Earth, it's Marina McCoy. Thank you so much for joining us on Vermontrepreneur. Thank you for having me. <laughs> Okay, that's our show for today. Thank you so much for listening. Personally, I really enjoy talking to these amazing people about their stories. I always leave inspired. So even if nobody was listening to these shows, it'd still be worth it. But since you are listening, anything worth doing is worth doing right. So please, share the show with your friends, follow us on the social medias, And do us a favor, stop talking about it already, and just go do it. See you next time. Bye.